0: We're in the final stretch of the Senate runoff. Georgia's going
1: to get
0: it done again. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Greg Bluestein.
2: And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If it's your first time listening to us, welcome. And be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.
0: Patricia, I'm getting a little bit nostalgic because this is one of the last times we'll be able to use that intro of saying the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election because in a week, the 2022 election will be in our rearview mirror.
2: Greg, I'm getting a little bit relieved. Your nostalgia <laughs> is my monkey off my back.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of Georgia voters would say the same. They're exhausted. They're tired. They're, some of, Many of them are motivated, energized as well. But I think everyone's ready for this 2022 election cycle to be behind us because we've got lots to look forward to in 2023. And one of the things we have to look forward to is no more campaign ads for at least a little bit.
2: Yes. And it also feels like the 2022 election cycle was sort of a conjoined twin of the 2020 election cycle. So to me, it feels like we have not been out of an election cycle since about 2019, which is before I started at the Atlanta newspaper. So I've never been out of the election cycle in this job. And I can't wait to see what it feels like.
0: (laughs) Well, it's going (laughs) to feel good. It's funny. I mean, no one can empathize with that as much as Senator Warnock, because he is not stopped running since early 2020, uh, even after he won the 2021 runoff. He kept on running. And we were uh, talking down in Fayetteville not long ago, a couple of days ago. He said it was hard for him to believe, but this is the truth. He's been on the ballot five times since January, uh, well, since November of 2020. He's been on the ballot for that special election, the special election runoff, the primary this year, the general, and now the runoff. So five times he has asked voters to come out. and and, and cast their ballots for them in the last two years.
2: Yes, he's going to have to have a major chill moment (laughs) on the day after Election Day because, and that is exactly the reason a lot of people did not want to get into the particular Senate race that he got into. There were two Senate races happening at the exact same time. There was the U.S. Senate seat that was occupied by David Perdue, and then there was the second U.S. Senate race. Uh, It was essentially an open seat, but it was running against Kelly Loeffler, who had been appointed. So it it was perceived to be the easier race between the two. However... Whoever ran against Kelly Loeffler would also likely have to do a runoff, and then turn right back around, as Raphael Warnock has had to do, and then do primary general, possibly runoff, and here he is, five elections later.
0: It's just exhausting listening to that <laughs> uh, <laughs> that rigmarole. Uh, but we've all been through it, all of us together, especially our loyal podcast listeners. Coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about the final stretch, the closing messages, Herschel Walker's sort of disappearing act in the last few days, uh, as well as the latest in early voting turnout. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Okay, Patricia, uh, we both have made the TV rounds a lot over the last few days, and we were both commiserating about this the other day, that, you know, pretty much every hit we did focused, at least in part, on Senator Warnock's final or one of his final TV ads, which even Republicans I've talked to say was sort of a masterstroke. Let's listen to it here.
1: I'm Raphael Warnock, and I approve this message. You ever watch a stupid movie late at night hoping it's going to get better, don't get better, but you keep watching it anyway? Okay, I've seen this video. The other night I was watching this movie. I was watching this movie called Fright Night, Freak Night, or some type of night, but it was about vampires. I don't know if (laughs) you know vampires are cool people. What the hell is he talking about? (laughs) Is he serious? Is he for real? A werewolf can kill a vampire. Did you know that? I never knew that, so I didn't want to be a vampire anymore. I want to be a werewolf. Y'all serious about this, right? So I've been telling this little story. About this bull out in the field. What? With six cows. And three of them are pregnant.
2: There's no substance. There's nothing.
1: Our good air decided to float over to China. Bad air. So when China gets our good air, their bad air got to move. No one's watching this and being like, oh man, that guy's got it together. It is embarrassing. Let's call it what it is. It is embarrassing.
0: That was a split screen shot. So if you watch that TV ad, you can see footage of Herschel Walker's real-life stump speeches, where he goes completely off-script, and it's interspersed with basically focus group videos of real-life voters listening to those words from Herschel Walker using headphones and just, frankly, being disgusted by them. And at the end, there's that telling shot of a woman just saying, I I can't take this anymore. And she walks out of the room, um, kind of dropping the mic right there. This is airing everywhere. And not only is it airing everywhere, it's also getting a lot of free media attention.
2: And this is from the same ad team that has put together so many of Warnock's commercials that not only get tons of play, as you said, um, paid press because he has raised so much money, but then also are being repeated over and over because they're very buzzy. And then they sort of repeat themselves through free media, earned media. um, So incredibly effective. And one thing i think is so interesting about this ad is that it's all different kinds of people. So it's an older white woman, it's a younger black man, it is sort of people from all different walks of life all having the exact same reaction to these comments from Herschel Walker. And i think when when we're reporters in these audiences, we hear him say a lot of these lines over and over. Many of them are were not gaffes. They are part of his stump speech and in that crowd it plays incredibly well so i'm sure that to herschel walker and his team this feel these feel like home runs but then you know pull out the aperture pull out the camera and to your average bear and those are the voters of georgia we're talking about millions of voters not 500 people in a crowd but millions of voters what does your average bear think about this it is bizarre head scratching alarming. And at the very least, it doesn't connect to people. But at the very worst, it really makes people feel like what Warnock is saying is true, and that he's simply not competent or able to do the job of a U.S. senator,
0: just not ready. That is such a good point, Patricia, because we've heard some of these speeches before many, many times. I mean, the story about the cows is part of Herschel Walker stump speech. So we've heard, and that's, that was featured in at least one of the ads. Um, so we've heard this stuff over and over again and, you know, we're reporters. And so we tend to tune out things that we've heard time and time again that are part of stump speeches, but again, taken out, um, and isolated, uh, you know, it can be sort of jaw dropping to Herschel Walker's critics. And this is part of Senator Warnock's entire strategy from the get go. I mean, from from the moment that Herschel Walker, probably even from before Herschel Walker entered the race, which was to show that he is, uh, to try to make the case that he is unfit for office. They want to make this race a contrast between Senator Warnock and Herschel Walker, not about national issues, not about President Biden's agenda, not about control of the Senate, not about all that. And so far, the dynamics of this race are playing into that favor because Senate control is not at stake, because you know, Herschel Walker keeps on making errors and blunders on the campaign trail. The part about werewolves and vampires was just recorded a few days ago. I mean, this wasn't, you know, something from April on the campaign trail. This was something from after the November midterm election. And so all this is cause for Democrats to be confident right now,
2: yes. And let's talk about vampires versus werewolves. I was talking to a colleague earlier today who went to Scotland to visit his daughter, who was um, has a semester overseas. the landlord of the airbnb in edinburgh say oh you're from georgia what is he talking about werewolves versus vampires so this is the kind (laughs) of stuff that has literally traveled around the world and not in a good way so for herschel walker and his team they see all the attributes, they see the famous football player, um, you know, even up close, they know a different person, in their opinion, but the parts of Herschel Walker, they're getting out to lower information voters, people who are not political obsessives, or the hardcore of the GOP base, they're hearing all of this crazy, crazy stuff and they are they think it's a joke honestly it's just a big joke and that's what his campaign has has become to some people and some of those people many of those people are voters. And so it's not your regular Democrat versus Republican. It's not your generic Republican versus your generic Democrat in the state of Georgia right now because that kind of generic race would go to a uh, Republican, no question, because Joe Biden is so far underwater. Governor Brian Kemp, I think, has improved the GOP brand here in this state. It helped everybody else up and down the ticket for the GOP. But Herschel Walker is the one outlier. And a lot of it is because of statements like this.
0: Well, let's stick with Senator Warnock's strategy here. We both were at a concert on Monday where he brought in Dave Matthews' band. At least Dave Matthews. Maybe not the whole band, but Dave Matthews came of Dave Matthews' band. There was hundreds of supporters in the crowd there. There's a lot of media members as well documenting the concert. But what was really striking to me, Patricia, and we've talked about this, but you know most of the crowd was middle-aged, white, suburban voters, which is one of his key target audiences, right? Um, later on this week... Senator Warnock will bring in former President Barack Obama. Uh, Michelle Obama has recorded robocalls for his campaign. That is energizing the core liberal voters, particularly black voters that are the the base of the Democratic Party. This event with Dave Matthews was not geared towards African American voters. There's there was a handful of voters of color in the in the crowd, um, but it was mostly aimed at people who live in the suburbs who grew up listening to Dave Matthews, which is an age range between probably 35 and 55, I'd I'd, I'd wager, was the core audience there, right?
2: 100%. We joked that there's there wasn't a babysitter left in Dunwoody that night because it was all of the parents like out having date night and reliving their class of 92 reunion. I mean, it was so, it was such a specific audience. And first of all, that audience was could not have been happier. They were absolutely, um, it was just exactly over the plate for this particular group of voters that Rafael Warnock is reaching out to. And again, that's beyond, that's kind of above and beyond the Democratic base, but going after those swing voters. And we saw a number of Republicans in the crowd, talked to a lot of number of Republicans in the crowd, who did say they were voting for Raphael Warnock. I thought that was interesting, too. I thought they were just there for the free concert. And I do also want to report, I thought it was going to be a lot of Patagonia vests. It was more of a North Face crowd. Okay. North face and a lot of weed. <laughs>
0: there <was a> <laughs> Patricia, <bit. laughs> What's the difference between a Patagonia crowd and North face crowd? Cause I'm not in either of those sectors. I
2: think a little bit more rough and tumble and also it was colder okay. out. So, you know, there's not time for the vest. You got to go for the full sleeve North face jacket. And that is what, that's what uh, ended up turning out. And then they probably had to stop by, uh, I was going to say they had to stop by the cash machine for the babysitter, but I guess baby fitters, babysitters need Venmo these days. So Venmo, it was a man, very yeah. specific, older, extremely suburban crowd. They All of those people had to get up for work the next day.
0: And it was funny seeing some closeted Republicans there who were like, hey, don't, don't report I'm here, but yes, I'm, I'm here. So I bumped into a few of those. And as we noted in the jolt, you know, Dave, Dave Matthews is obviously the biggest star, but there was another star who kind of, who you know, took a little bit of the spotlight. That was Alvin the Beagle.
2: Yes, I would say if there were three famous names in that room, um... I'm going to say uh, Raphael Warnock might have gotten the, the least amount of applause and he got a good bit of applause, but Alvin the Beagle was just an absolute, um, talk about like coming out from behind curtain number three. People were thrilled to see Alvin the Beagle. And then of course, Dave Matthews, who is really still sounds exactly the same. I have to say he was in like hundred percent Dave Matthews um, form. R- very, very impressive, completely acoustic. I, it sounded, sounded just like his records.
0: Not only did he sing, um, Patricia, but he also had a sort of a one-on-one interview or at least a discussion with Senator Warnock before he took out the guitar and started playing. Here's what he said about voting. Not voting was using your voice, um, uh, but not with any will behind it. And I was going on and on. And then you just put it so. I wish I, I, I wish I'd heard you say it like that.
1: No vote is also a vote. It's just not with any direction. You're giving it away. Giving away your power.
0: So he's a little bit more eloquent. He's on the guitar than he is talking about voting. But still, the crowd loved it. The crowd ate it up. Every every word he was saying. And you know, and the, these events, Senator Warnock and frankly Herschel Walker, they say the same thing when they talk to people who actually show up at these rallies. Like, hey, you're already going to vote. Like if you're if you're showing up at, at an event like this, odds are you're not. You know, I'm, Senator Warnock is saying I'm preaching to the choir. Um, I, I'm a pastor and I'm preaching to the choir. I know I know when I see a I know a choir when I see one. Um, but what they try to do at these big events, especially big showstoppers like this one, is sign people up for canvassing shifts, phone calls, donations, of course, all that to help galvanize and energize supporters. And trust me, Herschel Walker does the same thing at every single one of his rallies too. You know you know the people showing up are already gonna vote, um, or you at least expect them to, but go get your neighbors, go get your friends, go get your relatives, go get whoever to go show up as well. And that's, that's one of the things this, this rally hope to accomplish.
2: Yeah, and this is really at this point a complete mobilization play. Like we are way past persuasion, and we are to the point where campaigns are simply trying to get the bodies to the polls. Who first of all the people who have who voted last time around, then also hopefully some younger voters who were able to get registered this time around. Uh, You you just had to be registered before the last election, even if you didn't vote in the last election, and they really know that they have got to get a handle on who's out there, who's this who's this universe of voters. And Warnock has that specific group of voters, the Kemp voters who voted for Raphael Warnock. They're going to need to do a little extra work with that group, I think, to really get them to not just be mm, inclined to vote for Raphael Warnock, but making a plan to go vote for Raphael Warnock. And so, although he did have Dave Matthews there, and Dave Matthews, of course, super popular Raphael Wardock did go into great detail about why they needed to go back to the polls and vote for him. He also spoke uh, quite a bit about abortion, and I think that that was reflective of the fact that that did end up being an issue that was important, especially in the suburbs and in, in near-in suburbs. Less so in exurban areas, but I think in the near-in Cobb County, Gwinnett County, I think Democrats had a sense and had uh, had visibility from exit polling that abortion was a big issue. It did not change the governor's race in any way, shape or form, but in a close race like this, what is essentially tied going into the runoff, um, abortion would be very important. And that was by far the loudest applause line that Raphael Warnock got during his speech. So he went through sort of all of the reasons why he you know, wanted to return to the Senate. I would be so honored to return to the Senate. And by the way, abortion on is on the ballot as well. And that seemed to be a big motivating
0: factor for that crowd. Let's listen to another one of Senator Warnock's uh, applause lines.
1: I think it's safe to say that in my race, this is no longer about Republican and Democrat, right and left. This is right and wrong.
0: It's the case he's been making for a long time now, Patricia. And that'll be maybe his main closing message through now till December 6th. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Herschel Walker's final closing strategy. We here at Politically Georgia would love to know what you think about our podcast, especially if it's good. Please click the link in today's episode description and answer a few questions so we'll know how to make this podcast even better for you. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We're not only the hosts of your podcast, but we're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, along with our Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell. We think the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. And right now, for a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That includes full access to ajc.com, the AJC e-paper, daily newsletters, including the Jolt, for less than a dollar. Sign up today at subscribe. Sign up today at subscribe. podcasts for six months of unlimited digital access for just ninety nine cents. That's subscribe. That podcasts so you always know what's really going on. Okay, Patricia, we talked about Senator Warnock's closing strategy. I'll have to admit. Both of us were a lot, were a little slash a lot baffled by Herschel Walker's uh, last few days right before this final stretch. And we weren't alone. We heard from a lot of Republicans who were saying, What is he doing? Because the answer was kind of nothing. Um, you know, things slow down around Thanksgiving break, but you expect them to pick right back up in an election cycle where you only have four weeks. It is a sprint, it's not nine weeks like it was. The last runoff we had where there was, you know, a little bit more downtime around Christmas, around New Year's and around Thanksgiving. This race, you know, you expect the candidates to kind of take th- Thanksgiving a little more quietly. But between the Tuesday right before Thanksgiving and Monday afterwards, so five full days, Herschel Walker didn't have a single public campaign event. He had a handful of closed-door fundraisers. He went to his former coach, the late Vince Dooley's Celebration of Life. So he wasn't just sitting on his hands but there was no campaign events. And especially that weekend, the weekend, you know, 10 days before the election, this is a weekend where Republicans lost their court fight to block Saturday voting. And so Democrats seemed like they went out and voted with a vengeance in metro Atlanta, setting records. Tens of thousands of voters waited in really long lines in some cases to go cast their ballots on that Saturday and Sunday. And Senator Warnock had about a half dozen events over the weekend, urging them, pleading with them to go to the polls, mobilizing. Whereas Herschel Walker, zip. You know, we we heard from Republicans basically saying he was the invisible candidate at a time when he was expected to be everywhere.
2: It was bizarre. I mean, the only thing I can compare it to is when David Perdue went missing from the campaign trail at the yeah. end of his own Senate race. When he had COVID, I mean, he he at least had COVID. And so, although we still didn't see even a whole lot of him on Zoom, but it is never a good sign when your candidate is hard to find a week out from election day. So just incredibly, incredibly strange. I will say also, it's a major reversal from the way Walker had been campaigning maybe two months ago, three months ago. Mm -hmm. He was, seemed like he was everywhere all the time on that bus, hitting four, five, six events in a day. and uh, But it just feels like they have been losing altitude slower, slower, slower. And when we look at the week of Thanksgiving, Raphael Warnock held 16 public events and Herschel Walker held two. And that was one event on Monday, one event on Tuesday. And then to your point, just went completely dark on Wednesday. And that was as counties were in the process of voting. I mean, Douglas County was open for early voting. And then of course, by Saturday, multiple, multiple counties open for early voting. So it is so unheard of not to have a candidate out there at the poll shaking hands, vote for me. It was almost inexplicable. And then you compound that with the additional strategy of TV and mail. So typically, even if you don't see a candidate in front of your eyeballs, which most people don't, they will be everywhere on TV all the time. And most of the ads that we were seeing coming out that were pro-Herschel Walker featured Governor Brian Kemp. So 34 and 22 had a big had a big buy, especially on Thanksgiving Day, but it was Governor Brian Kemp making the case about Herschel Walker instead of Herschel Walker making the case for himself to camera, or even candidates or voters making the case for Herschel Walker to camera. Um, Even in mailers, you know, I go to my mailbox and I see all kinds of ads that are pro-Walker, but it's Governor Brian Kemp making the case. It is not Herschel Walker. And so we have gotten to this point in the campaign where The candidate is not the spokesman for his own campaign for a period of time. And that is just highly, highly unusual. I think that Governor Kemp is a terrific spokesperson for the Walker campaign. They've got to have him. They've got to have those Brian Kemp voters come out and vote for Herschel Walker whether they did or didn't vote for him the last time around, that's exactly the universe of of voters they need. But it's not this double team, here we are, hands clasped, we're barnstorming the state. It's really just kind of a one-man band right now. And the one man is not Herschel Walker.
0: Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. Because right now, Governor Kemp is undoubtedly, in my view at least, Herschel Walker's most important surrogate. We know that Donald Trump is not going to come to Georgia in the next few days. If he does, though, it'll be a super shocker. Um, (laughs) It'll be a complete turn of events. We've we've told you a long time now it's very unlikely he's coming. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if if there was a final push for him, but it just didn't seem like it was in the cards, especially given his negative poll ratings here in Georgia. Over at 34N22, the group you just invoked earlier, they did a poll of Brian Kemp and Donald Trump's favorability ratings. Kemp was around 60% among likely runoff voters, Donald Trump in the 30s. Mm. So in terms of approval ratings, so that tells you everything you need to know about why Donald Trump was not wanted here by the Herschel Walker's campaign and why Brian Kemp is playing such an important role. And look, at this point, he's not only headlined a rally, he's held fundraisers, he's been in mailers, he's taped TV ads He's lent his grassroots ground game operation to uh, Herschel Walker's a pro Herschel Walker uh, outside group, and he's also doing interviews on national outlets like CNN, talking about the importance of voting Republican, even if you have concerns with with Herschel Walker. You know, talking about policy-driven issues. So he has played this sort of filled this gap, I would say, and is also making arguments that Herschel Walker either hasn't made or didn't want to make. I don't. I don't really quite understand <laughs> understand why in some cases because you know we know for weeks now I'm, I'm just kind of nitpicking on this issue but we know for months now that Republicans have been upset about the federal climate bill and a provision in it um, that they think could hurt Hyundai's ability to to manufacture electric vehicles in Georgia by depriving them of a of a, a tax break that's going to other manufacturers and we know it's a concern for for Senator Warnock's campaign. Um, but we've never really heard Herschel Walker make that case. And so Kemp, I think Kemp's aide's kind of like, okay, if they're not going to make it, we're going to make the case. And so they went on Twitter and started making a big deal about it. But that's just uh, one example of of the sort of role that the governor Kemp is playing in this race right now because Herschel Walker is saying the same stump speech we've heard over and over again with very little changes to it and not really talking about policies. We don't know where he stands on a number of issues still to this day. And he's not talking with the mainstream media. He's doing only a handful of interviews with mostly friendly outlets. And so we don't have a chance to go hone his views on very important issues. And so he's kind of leaving it to Governor Kemp to do that for him right now and some other allies. And on the campaign trail, we've only seen Kemp for one event, but we might see him for more. But we're also seeing Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, Tim Scott, um, Rick Scott, we're going to see Mike Pompeo come in later this week. So we're seeing some big-time, big-name Republican officials who are kind of helping Herschel Walker uh, make that case in a way that, that uh, at least he hasn't made it himself or his campaign doesn't want him to make it himself. We're not sure what, but these surrogates are playing an outsized role in this final stretch.
2: Yeah, well, and um, certainly now that we're into the full week here before the runoff, Herschel Walker is back out on the campaign trail. To your point, he's being joined by surrogates. He'll be with Kelly Loeffler. In Atlanta later this week, most of his other stops are everywhere but Metro Atlanta, getting around to the more rural parts of the state where he is still quite popular. And he is going to need to really run his numbers up in these rural counties in order to offset what we're seeing happening in Fulton, Gwinnett, Cobb, these other metro counties that had huge, huge turnout. And um, uh, from the demographic information that we've got coming out of those, looks like that would have been a heavily Warnock contingent coming out already to vote. So Herschel Walker's got some catching up to do when it comes to um, just getting even with where the votes have already been cast. And um, I think in terms of his surrogates, when he doesn't have Donald Trump coming in, but has all of these other senators coming in, these senators he has not known for a long time. There is something in it for each and every one of them. If he were to join the U.S. Senate, if they were to get closer to a majority You know, we're talking about a difference in uh, down-the-road leadership. Could Herschel Walker support them for leadership down the road? Would they get chairmanships down the road if they were one vote closer? Donald Trump has known Herschel Walker for decades. Herschel Walker was on The Celebrity Apprentice with Donald Trump. He has been longtime family friends with Donald Trump. I mean, the most legitimate surrogate for him would be Donald Trump, Um, You'd have to think Donald Trump would also be an influence on him if he were in the U.S. Senate. We've never been able to ask him that question. But that's the person who got him into this race. That's the person who we know he's been talking to because he's been down to Mar-a-Lago quite a bit. But for Donald Trump not to be able to come into Georgia when he really is the Republican who knows Herschel Walker the best really strikes me as not reflective of the candidate or the influences that have gotten him to this place in this campaign.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating. You're exactly right. Uh, And he, he, you know, he had two rallies earlier, one late last year, one earlier this year, where, you know, he was on stage with Herschel Walker. So he has come in, but he just hasn't come in since the May primary. And again, I mean, part of that's a reflection of Georgia being the sort of standout state when it comes to Donald Trump, with all the Trump-backed challengers to Republican incumbents going down in flames, David Perdue and Jody Heiss and all of them losing, and not by not by a little, by a lot. And that has helped shore up Brian Kemp's approval ratings among those Republicans and also helped probably um, uh, damage Donald Trump's approval. But, you know, it just seems like when Donald Trump announced his comeback bid uh, a few days ago, you know, it was a story, but it has not shaken up the dynamic, hasn't frozen the field. It hasn't scared a lot of Republicans. And in fact, in Georgia, um, you know... After Donald Trump decided to have dinner with a racist white supremacist, anti-Semite Holocaust denier, you know, just a vile human being, we heard a number of top Republicans condemn that meeting and say that, you know, in Brian Kemp's words, that's un-American, anyone with those views. And Herschel Walker was the sort of standout there. He did not comment at all. (laughs) He would, he just sidestepped that issue altogether. I'm not sure if it's if there's a strategy there of just not responding to the press at all about those issues or if it's partly because of his longstanding relationship with Donald Trump and not wanting to antagonize Trump or his core supporters right now at a time where he needs every vote he can get. But either way, yeah, it's striking that, you know, his first political patron— is now on the outside of his campaign firmly. And he might still do a call. He might still do a robocall or a telecall, you know, and talk about how great Herschel Walker is. But, you know, it's not the same as having a rally with 6,000 people in the middle of Metro Atlanta or something like that.
2: Yeah, well, I think, you know, probably... Well, in fact, certainly there is polling to show that that's the right decision. That's the right; um, those are the numbers right in front of them. They have a very short window here to play all of their cards right, and we'll see on election day exactly where all of this pans out. I, I for I for one, don't know where it's going, and this is one of those races; it has felt tied. We have not known who was going to be up, who was going to be down from one day to the next. I don't know that any of those dynamics have really changed. And so we're going to have to see what it looks like, who was able to turn out their people, um, who was able to keep the people who were with them and who maybe even was able to get some people who didn't vote for them the last time around to come out to the polls for them this time around.
0: That's a great point. With the nine-week runoff being shortened to four weeks, there's only one week of early voting. So we're seeing record numbers and we've been reporting it, huge turnout explosions. But at the same time, you know, those are record turnout numbers for one week of early voting compared to three weeks before, um, like we had in the last cycle. So, you know, both candidates have a lot of work to do, particularly on election day, because uh, we just don't know what the electorate will look like. And there's so little polling. We know the internal polls, at least the ones that I've heard about show a very close race. And we've had uh, one or two public polls that show, you know, Warnock up, but within the margin of error. So basically a very close race, but it's really hard to predict anything. And so you're right. We all have to stay tuned. Well, coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770 810-5297. 810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Producer Shani B and his dedicated core of recently promoted interns. Now they're like staff assistants. They're standing by. They're slowly crawling up that ladder. But man, they deserve it. <laughs> they they worked their tail off for you, man. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count our new episodes to come on every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever news breaks. See you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC.